Today's world is filled with people trying to achieve one goal or another. Perhaps it's to lose those last stubborn pounds, start a new business venture, or give life to a stagnant relationship. In most cases, we seek out the most common avenues to make those improvements. Those pesky five pounds, cut out sugar and exercise more. The new business, maybe take a marketing course at the community college. And the relationship, perhaps it's time to seek the guidance of a qualified counselor. But could there be more that's holding you back from realizing those goals? What if that painting of a lone rowboat you've chosen for your office is subconsciously impacting your confidence or giving potential customers the wrong impression? Or what about that ugly antique chair that doesn't mesh with your home style, but you keep it around because someone gave it to you and you'd feel too guilty sending it to the dump? Could these things that register only on your periphery and take up very little of your conscious thought somehow impact your ability to build a happier, more successful life? The answer might be yes. In this, the inaugural episode of the Book Builders on books and authors, we talk to Anik Magak, an Amazon best-selling author who has made a career out of helping others unlock their potential by taking a critical look at the places they spend a great deal of time, the things they use, and the clothes they wear. Anik will recount some of the experiences she's had in her work. Some are humorous, others a little more difficult. She'll tell us about her own struggles with success and the one thing she did that freed her from years of guilt and self-loathing. And you'll also learn why you may want to rethink that busty print of Wonder Woman hanging on your wall. I'm Ryan Halverson, and this is Anik. I think it'd be best to start with my background. So I'm trained as a furniture and interior designer. And right, that's what I went to college for. And then after that, I had great success in the design field. And then with some life changes, I ended up completely out of the design field. Fast forward and I ended up in sales and marketing, making money. I was good at it, it was great, but I totally hated it. And I ended up going on to this health and fitness journey where I ended up becoming a health coach and a personal trainer. At a certain point, you know, I just, I had these two sides. I had this design side and then I had this health and wellness side. And in my mind, I'm like, someday these are going to make sense. Someday they're going to make sense. Someday they're going to make sense. Anique explains that she was sitting in an audience listening to a speaker confused about how to fuse her love of and history with design, with health and wellness. And then she had a bit of a revelation. When I was working in the design field, and you start to go into people's homes when you're doing interiors or you're designing furniture. Furniture is a physical thing that supports bodies. So already there's that interaction there that we don't really think of necessarily as also affecting our health and wellness. But also when I was working with people in interiors, when you're invited to somebody's home, they really open up to you on the way that they live. And the way that they live also includes their relationships, how they live, what kind of health they're in, and how they view the world. And so, the, re- the way I was combining the two of them is that through my one-on-one coaching with clients, in working in their health and wellness, I was incorporating environment with them. I just wasn't putting it in blatant terms. Mm-hmm. And what I was doing was aligning people's environment to support their health and wellness, and that's how the book came about. The book she's talking about is called Clear, How to Simplify Your Life and Live More Fearlessly. And it's essentially her thesis about the often unrealized intersection of our health and wellness and elements of design like furniture, wall art, or even kitchen utensils. So when I was working with people, or when I do work with people on their health and wellness, their environment 
ends up becoming a manifestation of their inner self. You can't help but have whatever is going on in your life become physical and become part of your physical life. Before reading your book, I can honestly say that I'd never really thought of a wellness coach helping with furniture design or a business coach giving art recommendations. Have you ever had an experience in which someone hired you for something and was surprised when you suggested they make a design change to their environment? Yes. I was uh, video chatting, which often happens with my coaching. We were in a Google Hangout talking, and this woman was dealing with a lot of depression and not seeing the scale move. She wasn't happy with her business. She was trying to make money, wasn't necessarily making money, wasn't working what she wanted. And I'm looking around and I, and I said to her, you know, have you ever thought that all those dead guys are a little bit of a hindrance to your life? She's like, what are you talking about? And uh, the photographs all on her walls were reproductions of dead presidents. <laughs> she was surrounded by all these morose old men looking at her. I mean, if you look at a picture of Washington, Lincoln, uh, Jefferson, they're always, they're never smiling. We, you know, we had a good laugh, but it really made her feel like, oh, wow, you know, I hadn't really thought about it. And so I clued her, I took her down the path of saying, okay, you know, you, you're creating this life for yourself and you're stagnant and you're having this, these people around you that are just kind of looking down on you. And would it be better if you were to change your environment to support really what your goals are and not just accepting things as they are? Anique says that the next time she spoke to her client, the pictures of the dead presidents had been replaced by a curtain. And it turns out that this seemingly minor change to her environment resulted in some major breakthroughs. She really started to experience the shift in her life and she ended up getting a new job and she's seeing success with a side business that she's doing and she's starting to see the scale move. It's, it's remarkable, it works. It's this crazy thing because we just don't think about it. We just live the way we do, oftentimes without thinking about what our environment's like. Anique's client's breakthrough came after she removed the dead presidents from her walls. But could they really have been the cause of her lack of progress in her personal and professional lives? Can an environment really dictate how we live our lives or do our lives dictate how we create our environment? I believe it's a combination of both because there are certain times in your life where you don't have control over it. For instance, as a child, you don't have control over your environment. In her book, Anique talks a bit about something that most of us recognize to be true, and that's the influence our childhoods have on our present day lives, for better or worse. For example, maybe you fold your clothes a certain way because that's how your mother or father did it when you were a kid. Some things we bring with us from our past may be innocuous, while others could have a greater impact. Anique tells a story about a woman who she worked with several years ago named Emily who wanted to lose weight and was looking for some guidance in the kitchen. But it turns out there was just one small thing holding her back. She was using a paring knife to cut everything. And I, I thought that that was kind of weird because you, know, you have your chopping knives, you have these bigger knives, and she was obviously struggling to, to cut her, I think it was a butternut squash, to cut the butternut squash with this paring knife. You're not gonna make it happen. When I brought that up, she was like, oh, you know, this is the way my mom did it. I don't need fancy knives. And I was like, okay, that's you know, totally weird. So we, in a follow-up conversation, she was like, you know, that, uh, I asked my mom about the knives, and I was shocked to learn that 
The only reason why my mom used paring knives was that she couldn't afford, she decided that when we were children not to buy a knife set because she didn't have the money because she wanted to be able to pay for these other things in our lives. And she always wished that she had a set of knives because it would have made her a better cook. And then as she got older, her mom actually had a set of knives. She just hadn't noticed. And she took it really to heart because she was like, oh my God, you know, like I, I had this belief and just thought, you know, like this isn't an unnecessary thing, but it really wasn't that. It was a lack of money. It was a decision that my mom made and I brought that into adulthood. And she actually went out and bought herself like the best knife set that she could because she finally had this relief from this past thought or experience and then figured out like, oh wait, actually what I believed wasn't really true. And now I'm going to change that and ended up being a better cook because she was able to have the right tools to do it. Anika, I'd like to turn the spotlight on you. Have you ever had an experience like Emily in which something from your childhood affected your adult life? This was kind of a, a tough thing. So as I would, as my life got busier and I got, yeah, just, I just got busier with everything that needed to happen. I was traveling, working a lot of hours, and I was having a hard time keeping my house clean. And I grew up in a household where when I was very little, my mom was a homemaker and then she eventually went back to work because the family needed the money and things were changing in the economy. I was feeling guilty because I couldn't keep my house clean. And I wasn't as, I wasn't recognizing at the time that I was associating it with this expectation that I had that my mom might have of me. So I was feeling bad about the fact that like I, I was feeling like a loser, like, oh my God, I can't, how can I not keep my house together? I can't keep my life together. I'm such a loser. And I, I just had this idea, like my mom would be so upset with me. And the fact is, is like my mom had nothing to do with that. She never, ever made a comment about my home. She never made a comment about how I keep things or do things. And yet I had brought this, this idea with me up into my adulthood. And when I finally made the decision to get a housekeeper, a house cleaner, I, it was life changing. And I didn't tell my mom for a really long time because I actually felt guilty about it. And yet she had still had nothing to do with that decision. So that was a big turning point in my life of like letting that go and being like, that is something that I created myself and I'm responsible for myself and I can also change. And now my life is a hundred times better because I let myself change and get somebody to help me with this. Let's shift gears a bit and talk about what seems to be one of the greatest challenges you face helping someone clear their space. In your book, you tell the story of Grams, a beloved member of her community who was dealing with a very dire situation at home. Would you mind explaining what happened with her? from a long line of hoarders. Her mother and father were part of a religious community and her father would settle the estates of people within that community. And as people passed away, he would inherit their stuff and keep it. And then when her parents passed away, she was also keeping all her stuff. So the house was just full, just absolutely full of all this junk. And as her health was deteriorating, she eventually ended up getting ill and passing out and having to be saved from her home. And when she went into the hospital to be taken care of, I was called in to help clear this house. When we all got there, the first thing we had to do was to put on junky clothes, put on masks. I covered my hair, put on gloves because 
it was filthy. There were there had been animals living in there over time. There was vermin because nothing was being cleaned, and the house itself was deteriorating from lack of care. She goes on to describe finding things like jars and jars filled with buttons, bandages caked in dried blood, pictures of people nobody recognized, old newspaper clippings and bus tokens, and perhaps most unsettling, boxes filled with teeth. It's intense. It's really intense. I mean, I think people have probably watched some hoarding shows on TV. But to actually be in that environment that's absolutely filthy and to also be in an environment where a person's sense of self and the things that they end up doing, like we we were going through the junk and coming across just like envelopes of old pieces of packaging from McDonald's from the 80s. You know, like it was was just very bizarre. I can only imagine how that must have felt. It must have seemed so overwhelming with so much facing you. Can you describe what happened next? Where did you start with such an enormous project? We started gingerly going through things because we weren't sure. She had always said, oh, I can't get rid of anything because I've got all these treasures in here. You know, I have money. I've got all. So we were like, oh, like, you know, what if we throw up money or jewelry or, you know, you know, who knows what's buried underneath here. Uh-huh. But what we quickly realized in about an hour or two was that there was nothing of value in there. There was a lot of change. And so if we came across change, we were throwing it into a bucket. But there was no there was no jewelry. There was no uh, certificates. Like we, we tried to make sure that we weren't throwing out anything that was bill-related or important papers like Social Security codes or anything like that. And... We came across a lot of old papers from these people who had passed away, but there were no heirs to give them to. Mm. So it was once we figured out that there wasn't much of value, we just basically opened up the windows on this first floor and parked pickup trucks, like just drove them onto the lawn, parked them next to the house, and we're just starting to throw bags of garbage out the window, literally. Wow. Yeah, it was that, it was that bad. What ended up happening is that once we cleared the house and she went back to the house, she really had a change in her life because without all that junk surrounding her and isolating her, which she was she was very isolated at this point in her life, she started to receive people from her community back and she was very involved in her religion and so the people from the church started to visit her again and she started to create a community and love around her that she was missing. And when she eventually moved up to her daughter's home, that was also a big shift because one of the reasons that she was avoiding moving in with a family member was that she didn't want to leave her stuff. And when her stuff wasn't there, there wasn't that sense of having an excuse or the isolation. So it was a huge change. And the the big thing that happened was that she didn't miss her things when they were gone. Like everybody was very worried about that. That was, you know, everybody was on eggshells about what was going to happen. And... Typically, I would never recommend to anybody that you clear anybody or declutter anybody else's home unless they're in a hoarding situation where they are in danger. So that's a that's a grand scale of taking sort of the concepts that you have in your book to a very extreme place. But mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily have to be extreme to have an impact on your life. Another running yeah. theme throughout the book is about clutter, and clutter doesn't have to take up rooms or fill an entire person's house. 
clutter can be on a small scale. And talk about that a little bit and how does somebody know when they've got clutter in their house that maybe they just overlook and don't realize that it's there? If there is in any way that you are feeling overwhelmed, then take a look around you because there's usually something there that is causing that overwhelm. Like it, we could have just life overwhelm, but also you might be feeling like there is a project in your home. For instance, like you all, you know, like in your kitchen, you've got a drawer that doesn't work right. Every time you open up that drawer, it goes off track or you get frustrated around it. You're just like, oh my God, I can't deal with this right now. And that starts to bring up this feeling of overwhelm, which is really related to a different aspect of your life, most likely. And what I ask people is to be aware of anything that you feel is triggering you whether that is you are frustrated that every time you walk into the front door you your partner children anybody has just left shoes that you are tripping over you get a little bit angry you kick them that is a part of this clutter like there are clutter is anything that you don't love it's anything that is unfinished it's anything that is leading to distraction in your life so it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be like a hoarder where it's just, you know, mounds of paper stacked up. It can be, it can manifest into a lot of different things. So as I was reading your book, and I, honestly, as I'm sitting here now talking to you, I'm looking around my office and I can't help but feel uneasy about some of the things that I'm seeing. I feel like I need to do a complete overhaul of my surroundings. But then it makes me wonder, like other sort of self-improvement efforts, it seems like it can be really easy to take things too far and head down a rabbit hole of obsessive clearing. What are your thoughts on that? And it can happen very easily because we think when we look out, out into the world that we perceive that people live a certain way. So there can be the desire to want to want to be that or do that. For instance, we look at these beautiful magazines or people are sharing photos on social media of these perfect homes and there's all these TV shows that promote these perfect homes. The thing is, is that no one lives the way that you think that you do and you're not them. I want people to strive to create an environment that works for them. It doesn't mean that you need to spend a lot of money on it. It could just be you taking what, taking all the possessions you currently have and curating them to just see like, okay, you know, do I really love this? Is it, should it be part of my life? Do I really use it? Can I take, repurpose something and change it to become more functional or a better tool in my life. So those are things to think about because when we become obsessive about anything, I think that subconsciously we all do have the awareness like, oh, that's probably not good for me. So when we do become obsessive making our our homes perfect, like absolutely perfect, or the lawns perfectly manicured and all that same height, you know, that that, that is that is the manifestation again of something inside us that we need to work on. Undoubtedly, Anik has faced some very emotional and challenging experiences in her career. She explains that while almost always beneficial in the end, the process of helping someone clear and simplify their surroundings can often dredge up raw, difficult feelings. But I was certain that she must have also had some humorous experiences along the way. So I asked her about it. (laughs) 
Well, the Dead Presidents thing is a good one because... That is pretty funny, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She goes on to talk about another client with some questionable wall art. I was talking to a client who, she, again, across the video call, and she was talking about how she, she works from home, and she's trying to get these clients. So, again, we're chatting, we're chatting, and... I'm looking at her office behind her. On one wall, she has a religious cross on the wall. And that was on her upper right. And then on the other side, she had this very sexual depiction of Wonder Woman. <laughs> and I said, you know, how, how's the client working? <laughs> Getting clients She's like, yeah, you know, I'm really having a hard time turning. I have this really good conversation with people, but I'm having a hard time turning them into clients. And they said, well, well, <laughs> I'm like, well, two of these things are not the same. And let me just point something out that people are seeing about you when they're, they're talking to you. So there's, there's this perception, and I'm doing more and more work with people around this, in mm-hmm. that with, with people getting onto video, we oftentimes don't really think about our background and how much uh-huh. that is actually saying to us, saying about us. So we're thinking, oh, you know, uh, maybe the background is just distracting because my dog's walking in and out or something like that. But it goes much deeper onto these visual cues. And so she had this side, which was saying, oh, you are godly or you, you need a God. But then at the same time, you had this slightly risque side that was not, that, since they weren't fitting together, it was making me confused about her. And also, it was confusing me that th- these drawn curtains, it looked like she was hiding something from the outside world. So from my perspective subconsciously you know I'm sitting there thinking like I don't feel comfortable talking to you so do I feel comfortable giving you my website to work on having that conversation how did it turn out did you what was her response and then did she make any changes she her response was one of shock she's like you know I just don't really think about my office and we, you know, we went into, well, we went into a whole thing about the office, realigning it, figuring out a better work, situ- work situation for her. But she also agreed with me. She was like, wow, you know, I, I never, never thought about it. She's like, I like comics and I like Wonder Woman. I go, that's, a, that's great, but that butt shot of Wonder <laughs> Woman is a little much for most people. Like, I totally respect that. <laughs> And that coupled with the religious thing is making me feel guilty about looking at this bare butt. When I now feel like God's looking at me, looking at this butt. You know, you know we chuckled and she, she took both of those things down. And she still put up comic book characters, but ones that were more empowering, not, so, not necessarily as sexy. And she also re- or, uh, rearranged her, her office so that she had a, a prettier background and a softer background behind her when she's mm. speaking to people. So it worked out. And she also liked the, re- she because she paid attention to the arrangement of her office, she felt a big shift in the way that she worked. And she was actually, she felt more comfortable. She felt more productive. And she just felt like it was more her. Mm-hmm. The environment was really more her, which was really the goal out of everything. One last thing. If there was one takeaway, one major takeaway that you would hope that people derive from your book, what would that be? Mm. 
I want people to start questioning why they accept certain things in their lives. Because when we can get past just accepting, oh, I grew up this way, or I do things this way, or I just have to do things this way, or I've always done things this way, we really allow ourselves to break through and live from a place that isn't from fear. We become incredibly empowered when we start to realize that we can create the life that we want and the life Mm -hmm. that we love. That would be the big takeaway. That's our show. Many thanks to Anique for sharing her valuable stories and insights. You can pick up her book titled Clear, How to Simplify Your Life and Live More Fearlessly in both hard copy and digital formats at Amazon.com. Be sure to tune in to the next episode, which will be available two weeks from now. This has been the Book Builders on Books and Authors. I'm Ryan Halverson.